This is episode 75 of the Higher Christian Life broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. In John 15, Jesus lays out for us, in the story of a vine and its branches, our position in Christ and the key or path to the higher Christian life. I mean, it really couldn't be more clear. And this key is found in this simple word, abide. We are to simply abide in Him, which means to rest, remain, dwell, to make our home. Literally, it means to be united as one with Him in heart, mind, and will. It is the definition of a fully surrendered life. But before we learn about abiding, Jesus gives us some encouraging truths for those who often go off track, miss the mark, or simply take a time out in regards to obedience to his word. You may have experienced times like that yourself, when you have grieved his spirit and find yourself feeling like you've been driven outside the camp along with all of the other of life's throwaways. And if you've ever felt that way, well, this message is for you. So join us as we examine closely three key yet small words, takes away, prunes, and clean, all from John 15, 1 through 3, that point to the way to restoration and encouragement even during your times of spiritual failure, or at least what you may feel is failure, as we learn how to embrace the higher Christian life. Let's jump right in, shall we? All right, before I pray, I want you to take a look at John 14. I just want you to know it begins with that passage that people, pastors, preach at funerals all the time. Let your heart not be troubled. Believe in uh, God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. Prior to that, at the end of John chapter 13, Peter, of course, questioned Jesus about where he's going. Why are you leaving? And I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said at the closing part of that, the last verse in verse 38 of chapter 13, will you lay down your life for my sake? Will you really surrender yourself to me that much? He says, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Again, the chapter divisions are placed by man, so the narrative continues following, where he then encourages his disciples in the beginning of chapter 14. And if you'll survey chapter 14, you'll see most of it in your Bible is read. There's a couple questions that are asked. Um, you know, uh, uh, Thomas asked him a question. Philip asked him a question. Thomas in verse 5, Philip in verse 8. And then uh, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, ask him a question in verse 22, and we see this flow of just red ink. What happens is Jesus is having one long narrative here, and in chapter 14, he introduces the Holy Spirit. He talks to him, and we've talked about this at great length. He talked about him in verse number 16 and 17 and following. I will be gone but the helper will come. It's better for you that I leave because I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who will be with you and teach you all things. And, um, and he kind of talks about the gift of peace the Holy Spirit brings. And then we move in to chapter 15. And I want you to notice it's all one narrative. In other words, there's not these divisions like we place in here so we can easily find the verses. It's talking about 
uh, him leaving. He's encouraging his disciples. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'm actually going to let the Holy Spirit come. When the Holy Spirit comes, it'll be better for you because he won't be confined to time and space like I am. And then um, he moves right into chapter 15, this classic passage about the vine and the branches, where he begins to illuminate to us what we're to do, what our part is and what his part is to experience God, to experience the fullness of him, to experience the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at just a couple verses here, and I think you're going to see them hopefully in a little different light. And uh, before we do that, let me pray. Father, we need you to speak to us. We need the Holy Spirit to communicate truth about himself. We need to to understand exactly what you said, exactly what you mean, and not filter it through maybe what we've been taught or what we feel comfortable with or, or what we've just picked up from nature. Lord, would you do that for us today? Would you change our lives? Would you teach us what it means to surrender to you, what it means to rest in you, what our position is of not doing, but just being, just abiding? And Lord, would you show us everything we need to know to allow you to do great works through us. Because as you say in this chapter, without you, we can do nothing. Would you open up our hearts and open up our minds? And I will thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, um, I, I love words. And when I study God's word, he speaks to me. I mean, the first time God ever showed up in my life when I got saved was through John three and I mean through the words that were there and and so I have a tendency of wanting to know exactly what they say so I'm not deceived by my own mind or how what I want them to say. And so today I'm going to share you just one truth that will help you learn to experience God through not the big words, but the little ones that you can spell, the uh, the small words in scripture, because small words matter. I want, you to, I want you to read this with me, and I want you to be honest and tell me if this is not awkward, if it doesn't somehow doesn't make sense. And it, if you read it like a conversation, it also leads to some kind of scary conclusions about God that we have a tendency of thinking about him maybe in the worst light. John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. He's setting the stage and the characters for this parable. He is the vine, and the father is the, the vine dresser. He's the one that tends the vine. We find in verse number five that Jesus again says, I am the vine, but our part of the vine is being a branch. In other words, if you think of a vine, a vine is not made up of separate components. A vine is everything. A vine is the roots. A vine is the very weak stalk of wood that they have. A vine is the branches. Part of the vine is the fruit that it produces. And if you're connected to the vine, you're part of the vine. So what he says here is, I'm the vine, Jesus says, and my father is the one who tends the vine, and you are part of me. You're a segment of me. I did not make you the roots of the vine. I did not make you the stalk of the vine. I didn't even make you the fruit of the vine. I made you a branch. And your job as a branch is to bear the fruit that I, the vine, produce. 
you bear it, the Father gets glory. So here, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I got that. And then it's kind of abrupt. Then it's kind of scary, because it seems like the Father's got this big, you know, do or don't kind of mantra here. He says, every branch in me, very important, that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. Wow, that's kind of abrupt. That sounds rather frightening. Takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. We've read this for years. I mean, Oswald Chambers, our Andrew Murray, wrote a book on it. Pretty amazing book, too. And you know that, so we're a branch, and the father's going around looking at all the branches, and he says, that one's bearing fruit, and that one's not bearing fruit. So the one that's not bearing fruit, I'm going to take away. What is that, snatch off the vine? You know, to, to remove it from the vine, get the dead wood out. And then, of course, this branch over here is bearing fruit, so I'm going to prune it. I'm going to hack it up. I'm going to make it so it bears even more fruit. I'm already kind of stressed by the time I get to verse number two, and then they get to verse number three, which seems like it makes no sense at all. So the disciples are hearing Jesus say this. They're understanding the imagery of the vine, because there's vines all around them in an agricultural kind of setting they're in, but he says this, you are already clean. What does clean have to do with anything? We haven't even introduced the concept of clean. You just kind of throw that out there. You're already clean because of the words which I have spoken to you. And then the rest of this teaching, all the way to verse, well, really to verse number 17, he introduces this concept known as abiding. Okay, I don't know how you read Scripture, but I'm sitting back and I'm realizing this is a long conversation. Sometimes I actually speak the words out while I'm sitting there in a conversational tone so I can get the feel of maybe what Jesus was saying, but more so get the feel for what I was hearing if I was listening to this. I'm, I'm engaged with the imagery here. I'm the vine, and my father's the vine dresser. That's great. And every branch, I don't really know what a branch means or how I apply to a branch till we get to verse number five. By that time, it takes my breath away because the father comes and takes the branches away that don't bear fruit. Oh my gosh, that's kind of frightening. And the branches who do bear fruit, he prunes them. I understand that. So they'll bear more fruit. And then all of a sudden, he looks at all of us and says, but don't you worry about that because you're already clean. Clean? I didn't even know filthiness or dirtiness was an issue here. You haven't even brought that up. You're already clean because of the words which I've spoken to you. And then he goes on, abide in me and I in you. Talks about a branch, then defines a branch in verse number five as us being the branches. Okay. So I've read this for years, and I've preached on it before. I've read what most commentaries have. I, if you have Logos Bible software, which you probably don't, um, I probably have, I don't know, 40 or 50 commentaries just on John. So that's why I look at many of them, not all of them, and I, I see how those are interpreted, but it still bothers me. This clean thing thrown in there and taking away. You know, a branch in me is taken away. What is that, eternal security negated here? Is that, can you lose your salvation? Some people interpret it that way. What exactly is he saying? And then he throws the clean thing in there. 
And if it is true that we can experience God through small words, then there's some small words in here that we need to define and ask God to really make them real to us. So we start looking at the passage. I am the true vine. The word true, you can look it up yourself, means real, genuine, or literally one that cannot lie. There are other vines out there, but I'm the absolute true vine because my father is the vine dresser. And my father is the vine dresser, which literally means a farmer or one who tills the, the soil or tills the ground. It's he's the one that takes care of all of that. I got no problem with that. That makes complete sense. Verse 1 is easy because what the Lord is doing is setting the characters of this, of this uh, parable. God is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. And in verse 5, we're defined as branches. Not fruit, not root, not stalk, but as branches. Okay. Then he says, every branch. That means what exactly what it says. I'd like to look that word up in the Greek, and probably what it's going to be is the word pos, which means each and every without exception in totality. Every branch, not separated from me, but every branch in me. This is not in the church. Church hasn't even been created yet when Jesus is preaching these words. But every branch that is in the vine, in Christ, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The Father takes away a branch that is in the vine or in Christ because it's not fruit-bearing. I don't like the way that sounds at all, because that really flies in the face of my theology. And every branch, uh, again implied in me, that bears fruit, he prunes or cuts away things that sap up energy rather than producing fruit, so it may bear more fruit. If, if you'll just look at this at face value, it's a troubling passage because it can lead to, I don't know, believing things about God that, that almost put him in a, um, that the fruit is more important than anything kind of mantra. So we start looking the words up. I want to know what it means. And reading this, the father doesn't seem like some loving person who loves his vine. The father seems like someone who has a business and he just wants to produce fruit at all costs. And if you are in him and you're not producing fruit, you're out of here, bub. Hit the road, Jack. And those that are in him, we're going to cut you back. And pruning is a painful process. Cut you back until you're only focused on fruit bearing. Well, I'm a believer in Christ and Maybe my spiritual life is not what it should be, and maybe I'm no longer a 10, but I'm a 5 or a 4. Maybe I'm going through a really tough time right now, and I need somebody to come alongside of me and encourage me, but instead I read this passage, and God says he's going to just take me away. Boom, you're out of here. I'm afraid to even come to my loving father anymore and confess my sins because I'm part of him, and yet I'm um, not bearing fruit. So it's a very simple process that all of you can do. Because we live in a culture that has all these Bible resources free online, you don't have to have a seminary degree in Greek or Hebrew to be able to understand what these words mean. I'm going to show you this in just a second. So I want to look and I want to see what these words mean. Some of these may be familiar to you. And so every, which means pos, what a surprise. It means all, it means without exception, it means you, and it means me, 
and it means everyone who is in the vine, not in the church, but in the vine or in Christ. Every branch that is located in me, not outside of me. Later on, we find that he talks about branches that don't abide, branches that don't stay connected to the vine, branches that refuse to to have anything to do with Christ, and they're worth nothing, and they're just gathered together and burned. And there's a whole imagery there because it's no longer talking about branches, but it's talking about people. Read that passage at another time. Every branch in me that does not bear... That word means to bring, to carry, to have fruit. Every branch that is barren, every branch that is not fulfilling its design. You were created as a branch. You've been connected to the vine. Your job is to bear fruit. You don't produce the fruit. You just bear the fruit. And if you don't bear the fruit, what in the world are you doing connected to the vine? Kind of attitude that we have. So every branch that does not bear fruit, he, the father, not the vine, takes away. So I'm going to look that word up. And I look that word up, and I can look it up on Blue Letter Bible, and I'm going to do that for you in just a minute here. And I find that it's G142. The word is aereo. Uh, takes away. And every branch implied in me that bears fruit, he, the vine dresser, prunes. That means to cut. We know what pruning is. That is Cathario, and that's Greek, or G2508. I don't have to look in the dictionary, you know, to figure out what Greek word it is. I can just look at the numbers of the Strong's Concords and figure it out so that it will bear, uh, it may bear more fruit. And so I look at this, and I see that there's two words I want to know what it means. I want to know what take away means, because that seems harsh. And I want to know what prunes means, because that also seems harsh. And then I look at the next verse that says, you are already clean, which makes no sense at all because we haven't even talked about being cleaning. And that is now uh, gatharios. Oh, wait a second. So back here, I have prunes is gathario, and the other one is gatharios. I look at here where it says prunes, that's Greek 2508, G2508, and here, gatharios is 2513, just like in our dictionaries. If you looked up the word ran, you would have ran, you would have runs, you would have running, you would have all these different, um, ran's a bad word to use, but you have all these different tenses of that word. But in the Greek, every tense has a separate word for it. It's a very exact language. So if I've got one that's 2508 and another that's 2513, and there's like 7,000 words that we're looking through, that means they pretty much means the same. One means clean and one means prunes. So I'm looking at this and I'm seeing that, like I've already shared with you, that these three verses in the beginning don't naturally flow together. And the and verse 4 introduces this abiding in Christ, and the rest of the teaching seems to amplify what it means to abide in Christ, but I'm still troubled, and maybe you aren't, but I am, by these first three verses. It just, it casts God in kind of a strange light and um, doesn't make him as approachable as, as he should be, and uh, uh, this whole clean thing bothers me. So I look, and there's three key words here. There's take away, there is prunes, and there is clean. There is ario, 
there is Gatharia, and then Gatharios. I bet if I look these words up that I would be able to find an amazing, compelling truth in this that will, as I have at the very top of here, be very encouraging to all of us. That's just the way God works. So I've got these three words, and what I want to do is I'm going to try to figure them out. So what I suggest you do is uh, you just get on your computer and you go to Blue Letter Bible, which I'm going to do right now. All right, we'll try that. There we go. There's my browser. I have Blue Letter Bible highlighted up here. It's one of my bookmarks. I will click it. I have made it at 150% so you can see it really well. I will type in to the very top. I will go John 15 up here. See if I can use my mouse here. Good. And I will find the passage we're talking <laughs> Passage we're talking about. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. This is the New King James Version that we're using here. Over here, you have some tools. You can either access those tools here, or you can access those tools here. And uh, some of the tools are interlinear, which will basically give you the passage and the Greek words that you can look up. It gives you various Bibles. I'm going to go down here to verse 2, because I want to know what this word takes away means, and I want to know what prunes means, and I want to know what clean means. So I'll go to here. And here's the interlinear, and this interlinear is in the King James. But nevertheless, it says every, that's pos, right here, that's the Greek, 3956, branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. That's a phrase called ario that we've already looked at. It is Greek 142, that's the word. And if I click it on Blue Letter Bible, it gives me the definition. It gives you a whole lot of other stuff here. Um, that you can look at. But again, this is not an in-depth definition. It's kind of a, you know, a, maybe a high school definition. And you will find that uh, it means to raise up, to elevate, to lift up. It means to raise from the ground, to take up, to raise upward, to elevate. It take, talks about, you have, you have, by the way, in Greek, I've shared this with you before, when I was studying it, you had A, B, and C definitions. A is the most used, and then also with B and C. Blue Letter Bible kind of runs it in a one, two, three schemata. So you have some of these other definitions that are used, but primarily the major definition of this word means to raise up, elevate, or lift up. It says nothing about taking away. I go back. Uh, he takes away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purge or prunes. That is G2508, Gathario, and I click it. And that word means to cleanse, from, to cleanse of filth or impurity. Uh, it also means to prune trees and vines from useless shoots and uh, used use sometimes in Scripture as a metaphor. But the primary meaning of that is not to prune, but to cleanse. Okay, if that's the case, then I want to go back to the, to the word in the, the next verse. Let me go scroll down here. Which is, you are already clean, which is very close to katharia. Katharia, this is katharios. And it says, now you are clean, this is 2513, and just in Blue Letter Bible, what this means is, 
to cl be clean or pure, or to purify by fire. In other words, I understand the second word means clean, but I, now I notice that the first word means clean also. I will now take that off and turn this off. Do you remember this book that I gave everyone? This is uh, uh, the complete New Testament word study by Spira Zondelis. It's an excellent book. It has very in-depth seminary-level definitions of the Greek word. And so you all have one of these. What I could do is I could simply take this and I could look the actual Strong's numbers up and be able to see exactly what the definition means with associated verses in a rather deeper kind of picture here. Let me do that real quick. So, I already looked at Blue Letter Bible. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the definitions from that book. Here's the first one. Right there. Ario, uh, it's 142. It means to take up. To take up, to lift up, to raise. It does not say take away. Okay, what about the second word? 2513. This is the word that was translated prunes. Uh, katharios. It means to clean, clean, pure, clear, in a natural sense, unsoiled. It means, okay. And then I go to the word that is translated clean, which is uh, here, Thario, 2508. It means pure, clean, without stain or spot, to cleanse from filth, to purify. He then says, it occurs in John 15, 2, referring to the vine, and that the vine dresser cleanses a branch in order that it may bear more fruit. Not prunes a branch, but cleanses a branch. So, I'm looking at these three key words, and I've got this kind of strange view of God here because of that. And then all of a sudden I say, well, wait a second. Well, what does Christianity believe about this? I mean, the fact is, I need to uh, kind of determine some of the other commentaries because I haven't seen this. Um, uh, A.W. Pink talked about what I'm sharing with you right now, but most commentators don't. So I took The Perfect Life by John MacArthur that I have over there, another book I gave you. It's his study notes in his Bible. And I said, okay, John, tell me what you say about this verse. What is the standard Orthodox translation? And here's what he says. In 15.2, he takes away. The picture here is, uh, the picture is of the vine dresser, the father, getting rid of dead wood so that the living fruit-bearing branches may be sharply distinguished from what, the non-fruit-bearing branches? This is a picture of apostate Christians who never genuinely believed and will be taken away in judgment the transforming life of Christ has never pulsated within them. And then he talks about when prunes, he says, God removes all things in a believer's life that would hinder fruit bearing, i.e. he chastises to cut away sin and hindrances that would drain spiritual life, just as the farmer removes anything on the branches that keep them from bearing maximum fruit. The standard interpretation of this verse is exactly what John MacArthur says, that for some reason that we have to associate the vine with the church. 
In other words, in the church, there's redeemed and unredeemed people that just joined in that part of the true church, but they've aligned themselves with the church. And at the end of the, of the time, at the great judgment, there will be a taking away from the church, those apostates, those, um, you know, sheep and the goats kind of judgment who claim to be of Christ and not. And therefore, that, that's how we kind of interpret this in order to keep the pruning and the taking away intact. But it doesn't mean taking away, and it doesn't mean pruning. It means cleansing, and it means lifting up. And so the error here is the fact that uh, it's not a vine is not the church. The vine is Christ. And Paul talks about that we are in Christ. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Jesus goes on in this chapter to talk about I abiding in you and you abiding in me. You cannot be separated from Christ and still be a Christian. And so the first part of this says every branch in me, in the vine, connected to the vine, connected to Christ, not the church, but to, to the to the. Um, to the vine that doesn't bear fruit, he doesn't take away. What he does is he lifts up, he elevates, he encourages us and supports us. Watch the rest of this. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, in me that does not bear fruit he, the Bible says, our scripture says, takes away, which is not an incorrect translation, because it also means that in the third level, but it's not, the, it's not what the word specifically means. It means that what he really does is he takes up, lifts up, elevates, and to rise, just like we do when we run uh, vine branches and we build trellises. You have a branch that is diseased. You have a branch that's bruised. You have a branch that's been injured by an animal. You have a branch that is dropped down into the, into the dirt and can't produce any fruit. And so the vine dresser goes around and he builds these trellises. You've seen them everywhere. He builds this support system so he can take a branch that is not producing fruit, but is still in the vine, an injured branch, a branch that's struggling spiritually, and he builds that up. He holds it up. He doesn't take them away and throw them away because they're worth nothing anymore, but instead he goes the effort, the extra effort to love the, the vine so much that he wants all branches to produce fruit, and so he builds these trellises, these structures that allow the vine to be able to have its best opportunity to produce fruit. And what else does he do? Well, every branch in me implied that he does bear fruit. He, yes, he prunes it. That is a part of that word. But primarily that word means to clean, to make pure and unsoiled that it may bear more fruit. If you will study the way they uh, handled fruit bearing back in the time of Jesus, even today they do this. A farmer will go by, or a vine dresser will go by, and he will take the leaves, and he will position the leaves so they have the most sunlight. And if there's filth or there's parasites or there's dirt or something on the leaf that kind of like a dirty solar panel that would keep the sun from going through, he cleans those leaves and positions them in the light so they will bear even more fruit. He lifts up and 
supports those branches that aren't producing fruit so they can produce fruit, and those, those um, branches that are producing fruit, he cleans them so they can produce even more fruit. And then the next sentence makes all the sense in the world. Then he looks at his disciples and says, I don't need to do that to you because I've already done that to you by the word that I've spoken. You are already clean, pure, without stain, to be cleansed from filth, to purify because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, all of a sudden, this passage that in an English reading, just at face value, seems, first it seems illogical, that how could you possibly be in Christ and be taken away unless it's not in Christ, it's in the church, and so therefore we'll have it at the final judgment. I, I understand the gymnastics that you get to that. It's kind of like when you have people who do not believe that uh, spiritual gifts are for today, cessationist, what they do is they go back to the love chapter in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, and they say in the love chapter, you know, uh, that when the, you know, we see through a mirror dimly, when the perfect has come, we'll set all that aside. And they define the perfect, not as Christ, but they define the perfect as the Scripture. But nobody reading that passage would ever interpret the Scripture who had yet to be written is what Paul was talking about. The perfect when he comes is Christ. And so sometimes you take a doctrine and then you try to make the scriptures say what they will. And in this situation, I think the verse is far more encouraging when you read it for what it says than it is just reading it at face value. It sure has been for me. I mean, it's part of my spiritual life has been the fact that I screw up so bad that sometimes it takes days for me to go back to God and ask for forgiveness because I just, I feel like he's going to throw me away, cast me away. I'm so tired of you. Can't you get it right? Come on. You're praying about this again? But then I realize that when I'm damaged, when I'm hurt, when I'm struggling and I'm not producing, the Father comes and raises me up and supports me with other people or his word or some sort of structure he puts there because his goal is not the only, is not the survival of the fittest. If you produce fruit, you're with me. If you don't, you're not. His goal is to make every one of us with all our imperfections and our failures be fruitful branches to be able to bear his fruit. I love that about him, don't you? Love, and, I, and I never saw that just reading it in the English. But when I looked a little bit, small words matter. These aren't big words. Prunes, cleans, um, takes away. That's a phrase. You know, all of a sudden, I see God in just vibrant colors, experiencing him in a way that maybe I haven't before. It brought me to these conclusions. Do I see to what extent God does in order to make me fruitful as a fruit of the vine? I do now. I do. I do. It's, 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 it's put a wind in my sail, as they say. Do you see how much Steve, he loves his vine so much that he wants every branch that's connected to the vine, that's chosen in him to be a vine, to actually produce fruit and honor the vine so that the Father gets the fruit and is glorified? Yes. Do you see how important it is for the Father to ensure that all his branches, including you, actually produce fruit? I do. I do. And this is what a loving Father does. 
So, Lord, what do I do? What's my part in this? How do I, how do I respond to this kind of graciousness? And I learned the truth in John 15, but I want to illustrate it to you by a short testimony from a woman named Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael is one of the people that you'll read when you have those little Bible heroes, you know, the last century, her name is mentioned. She was a missionary to India, and she uh, wrote a lot of poems and stories and sent letters out and stuff of that nature. She was born in 1867 and died in 1951. And when she was 20 years old, she went to a Keswick convention. Oh my gosh, here we go again, a higher Christian life convention that was going on. And there she heard Hudson Taylor, the father of modern missions who who, uh, formed the China Inland Mission, and he was speaking about surrendering to missions. She was 20 years old and in ill health. No big college education. She was going to do something that only men were allowed to do. But at 20 years old, she said, God, if if that's what you want, then that's what I'm willing to do. And so she rendered her life to missions. She was from Ireland. She uh, went overseas to, um, um, to China for a while and finally ended up in India. Uh, she never married. By the way, that was just a scandal back then because that's what women do. They uh, presented themselves as debutante balls and they would end up getting married and she forsook all that for the gospel. She went to India at that time. She didn't know what kind of ministry she was supposed to have, but she saw this incredible need because what was happening is you had parents that were selling their children, first young girls and then later boys, to the temple priest for prostitution. And she said, I just can't have that happen. And so she began taking those children in and all the flack that came from that, and she built homes for the young girls and, and later the young boys to do that. She decided to not make herself an anathema to the culture in India, so she dressed like Hudson Taylor did. She dressed like they did. She even tried to stain her skin a darker color to kind of relate more to the people in India by using a coffee to do that. When she was asked by someone who was considering mission work in England by a letter what is missionary life like? They didn't have the internet. They didn't have Skype calls. They didn't know. She responded this way. She says, I'll tell you exactly what missionary life is like. Missionary life is simply a chance to die. To die to yourself for the sake of others. This is a famous picture of Amy Carmichael and some of the young girls that she rescued and spent her life doing that. 20 years, uh, well, in 1931, she fell, and uh, her spine was fractured. She was in terrible pain. She spent the last 20 years of her life bedridden, um, absolutely in, in, in horrible pain. Uh, she could no longer get up and do the things she did before, and so she spent the last 20 years of her life trying to run the ministry from her bed. She wrote letters. She wrote poems and stories and stuff that we all know her uh, from today. And in the midst of her suffering, people would ask her, how do you stay so positive? Why aren't you depressed? Why aren't you saying, God, I've given you so much and this is how it ends up for me? Tell, well, how does it make you feel knowing you can't do the things that you used to do? And her response was this, joy comes not from doing, but from abiding. Abiding. 
which is what Jesus said is the key to the Christian life. Abiding. In the verse three verses, he tells us how much he loves us and the extent he will go to to make sure that every one of us as a branch produce fruit. To either clean us or support us until we do produce fruit and then work with us until we're producing fruit to our maximum potential. And then in verse 4, he begins to tell us what our task is. And here's what he says. Abide, that's menno, another word that you should memorize. Abide in me. That's my job, to rest and abide in him. And I, Jesus said, implied, will abide in you. It's a... It's like, a, it's like a consummated relationship. I'm in him, and he now lives in me. I am in Christ, and the Holy Spirit lives in me. And then he goes on to bring it back to the branch. As the branch, branch cannot bear fruit of itself, it cannot. No branch separated from the vine can ever produce fruit. It cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, and that's a little more than just stay connected. Neither can you ever produce fruit unless you abide in me. Well, I'd like to know what the word abide means, wouldn't you? And so we looked that word up, and it means more than just resting. Here's what it means. It means to remain, to dwell, to live. It means to make one's home with, and it means to remain united with someone in heart, mind, and will. It means I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It means I now have the mind of Christ. It means that I've surrendered myself to him, and, I, and whatever life I have, I live in the flesh. I live through the Son of God who died for me. It is the essence of the Christian life. And so the Scripture says, abide in me, be united with me in everything that you are, and I will be that way with you. Paul says that I will give you the mind of Christ. And as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it's that way to the vine, you can't either unless you have that kind of relationship with me. And then he continues in verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He's saying, just so you don't miss the imagery here, he who abides in me and I implied in him bears much fruit, which is the whole point of our existence, is it not? Because you can't do squat without Christ. Nothing without him. Amy Carmichael understood that. It's not about doing, it's abiding. And what I couldn't do, now God has given me an opportunity to do more. Paul, I'm sure, when he was in prison, was irritated because, Lord, I can't go out and minister to the churches anymore. Instead, I'm confined in prison. Well, I'll write these epistles, which have a far lasting impact than what happened at the church of Corinth 2,000 years ago. So how important is it to abide? I'm just going to give you a couple promises, some of these from this very chapter. When you abide in him, it says that you will bear much fruit. Is that something you would like to do? Very simple. You just stay connected to him and let him bear the fruit through you. John 15, 7, it says you'll have your prayers answered. As a matter of fact, it says it's so bold. It says that if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you because you'll have the mind of Christ and be praying according to his will. Verses 9 through 11, it talks about that you'll experience joy, but the joy you will experience is the joy of Christ. 
He goes on, John 14, 27, you'll experience the peace that only he can give. Matthew 6, 33, he'll take care of all your provisions. You don't have to worry about how you're going to live. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You abide in him. He takes care of everything else. Isaiah 41, 10 says that you will find strength during troubling, trying times that we're in and entering into because we rest in him. He's the one in total charge. So let me close with this. Number one, you think about the vine and the branches, you don't do any of the work. Stop striving and start abiding. He does it all. The branch, the vine is the roots, the vine is the stalk, the vine is the branches, the leaves, and the fruit. It's everything. You are part of him, and he allows us to be the part of him that bears his fruit. So the fruit bearing comes from him. The only thing you and I have to do, and this is the essence of the higher Christian life, or the surrendered life, all we're commanded to do is stay connected to him, to abide in him and not go our own way, which for me is really hard, and everything good in our life will be a reflection of him. Our righteousness, well, look, Lord, I, 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 I produce this fruit for you as an offering. You remember the scripture says that the best I can do is filthy rags to him. He's not interested in what we give him. He's interested in what we bear for him so he gets the glory. If you stay connected to him and surrender to him, your life will have purpose. You know what that purpose is? To produce fruit for the pleasure of the vine and the glory of the Father. Well done, good and faithful branch. I trusted you with much fruit. All our life will have a purpose. Be pleasing to the Father and in glory by bearing as much fruit as we possibly can, proving ourselves to be his disciples. So here is the, I say this the right way, here is the conversation that I had with the Lord. It was simply questions that he's been asking me for a while. Will you stop striving and abide? What do you mean? I want you to quit thinking about you. I want you to think, quit thinking about the things you can do for me. You know, if I wanted a sacrifice, I'd ask for it, but I don't. What I want is a broken and contrite heart. Will you stop striving for him and abiding in him? Yes, I will. Will you really trust me this much? I remember, um, again, this is my generation, um, uh, when I first got saved, I got saved through some Christian music I listened to. And so I went and got rid of all my old albums about Christian albums. And one of the people that just mesmerized was a man named Keith Green. You know him. I think Keith Green, light burned so bright that God had to take him out at 28 because who knows what he'd be like now. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that uh, Keith Green uh, was so committed to Christ that uh, he didn't want to charge for his albums. I can't remember when I buy an album of his that had a sticker on it that says, if you can't pay for this, it's free. And he uh, talked with his record company and he asked his record company, can we just give these away for free? And he did concerts for free. And, you know, he chastised the, uh, the Christian uh, music industry at that time. And Steve Camp did later on. 
because of all the money they were making over the ministry, supposedly. And, and in the middle of his ministry, where he was opening up houses for homeless people, and God was doing some incredible things, God told him, I want you to lay your music aside. This is all I am. It's how I serve you. I mean, that's who I am. And so he went in and told his wife, Melody, he said, uh, or Melanie, he said, um, you know, God doesn't want me to play the piano anymore, and I'm not going to play any more music until he gives that gift back to me. And everybody thought it was insane from him doing that. Will you trust me, Keith, this much with the very thing that I've used to bless you and others with, what defines you as a person, will you trust me this much? And it was a lonely six months for him, and he writes, his wife writes about the fact that six months later, he heard him in a room playing the piano and singing some praise songs to the Lord. And the latter part of his life, after he surrendered everything to him, even something that defined who he was, was far greater than the first part of his life until he died tragically at the age of 28 with a, on a plane crash. Will you trust me this much? Will you trust me with your family? Will you trust me with your kids? Will you trust me with your finances, with your future? Would you trust me with your desires and your wants and the, the things that you want? Will you surrender your total life to him right now? My answer was yes. And to be honest with you, I want to know if you'll join me. And just surrendering everything to him, come what may, and let's just see what he does in our lives. Amen? Let me pray.